Are you excited? Anybody else besides Dr. Randolph excited that tomorrow's a new year? 2018. Can you believe it? I mean, I, I still remember thinking about uh, a space odyssey 2001, thinking that's like decades into the future. And here we are like 17 years past that. Unbelievable. Now, I want to take a, a, a poll here this morning. How many of you have made your New Year's resolutions for 2018? Raise your hand. Be honest. How many of you have made your... Okay. All right. Good. Good to see that. Now, uh, I read this last week that 20% of the people that make New Year's resolutions actually accomplish any of them. Only 20%. So I think there's two extremes when it comes to people and a New Year and a New, and a new Year's resolution. Uh, one are all of the people that make resolutions, they write them down, they're like gung-ho, and then like they know. They know they're not going to do any of them, really. I mean, you've seen all the jokes, right? You know, make, make you New Year's resolutions that you can keep. I'm going to gain 20 pounds in the year 2018, something like that. Um, so, so there are those that make a big long list, and, but they know that they're not going to ever accomplish any of them. And then there are those who are on the other extreme that are like, you know what, forget it. I'm just not going to even think about it. No New Year's, I don't do New Year's resolutions, period. And that's all the farther they get. Now, I think, uh, and if you know me, you know that I, I don't necessarily think New Year's resolutions are a great thing, but I think everybody needs to have goals in life. I think we all need to have a goal. I think we need to have a family goal. I think we need to have a personal goal, uh, a financial goal, uh, a work goal, a spiritual goal. Uh, because I've heard it said that if you don't know where you're going, you just might end up there. And, and we don't want that to happen. We need to have goals. And so uh, what we're going to do here this morning is I'm going to, uh, uh, we're going to start in the book of Acts again, and we're going to continue on in the book of Acts next week. Um, but today being the new year, and, and I want to close out the Christmas series, as, as, as Craig Goosewell said, almost said Dr. Goosewell. Wow. I, do you, anyway, um, Craig Goosewell's goal for the year, get my doctorate degree. Yes. No, LaDonna says no, that's not a good thing. Um, This morning, as we're looking at the new year, I I want to jump into the book of Romans, just for today, okay? And and, uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, challenges those in Rome, as well as us, with deep thoughts, life-changing thoughts. I mean, some really, really good stuff in the book of Romans, and I think these are things that we can look forward to and that, that there are a few of them that we can set as goals uh, for 2018. So this morning, as you look at your uh, note sheet there, you see eight points. I am going to go through the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans this morning. Okay, strap on your seatbelts. Um, I hope you brought, a, you packed a lunch for today. Um, no, it, it, seriously, it, just bear with me. I think we can do this. I, I, think, I think I can do this. Um, so, first 11 chapters. But first, I want you to turn to chapter 12. In uh, Romans chapter 12, now if you didn't bring a Bible uh, or you don't have one, underneath a seat in front of you uh, should be uh, a Bible that you can pick up. And uh, Romans chapter 12 is on page 1,123 in that Bible that's under that seat. So if you don't know where Romans is, go to 1,123 in the Bible under the chair, and you will find it. Okay? Now, uh, Romans 12, verse 1. I want us all to read that. Now, if you're reading it, 
I don't think, did I have you put that up on the screen? <laughs> okay, um, it might be interesting if we all have different translations this morning, but let's just read together Romans chapter 12, verse 1, okay? Here we go, together, everyone. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, the King James translation translates the end of that, which is your reasonable service. Now, the first word of our passage this morning, Romans 12.1, is a very, very important word. And that word is what? Therefore. And when we see the word therefore, we know that we need to look at what? Why it's therefore. What, what, and, and therefore essentially means... Um, in regards to everything I have already said. So, uh, we're going to go back and we're going to go through each chapter, 1 through 11. I wish we could just sit down and read it, um, but we don't have time to do that this morning, so I'm going to summarize the first 11 chapters. Here we go. Chapter 1. The summary statement for chapter 1, and in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter 1, because we're going to read, we're going to look at a verse from there. Uh, The summary statement for chapter 1 is this. God reveals himself to every human being. God reveals himself to every human being. You've heard, maybe you've heard or you've asked yourself this question. If if that's true, um, if people that, that die without having heard the name of Jesus or profess the name of Jesus don't go to heaven, then how fair is that for all of those in South America who have never heard the name of Jesus? Maybe you've asked that or wondered that. That is a, is a, is a great question. How can they believe in God if they've never heard him? What, what if a missionary hasn't gone there and told them and they end up dying? It just doesn't seem fair that they would be condemned to hell when they aren't even aware of God some people think. But in Romans chapter 1, look at verse 19. It says that God clearly reveals himself to every human being, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. In all of creation, God says, I, it's obvious that God is present. And and some cultures, they worship the sun. They don't worship the creator of the sun. I'm talking about the physical star sun in the center of our solar system. Everyone is aware that there is a God because he, re- he, he says he reveals himself to every human being. Um, and he gives us clues. Uh, I mean, really, if we just observe creation around us. I mean, I, I love... Have you seen some of those, um, I don't know, microscopic pictures of snowflakes? Have you, have you ever seen? I wish, wish I had brought some to show you. There's a guy in Russia takes them out on his deck on woolen cloths, and, and he zooms way in, and we were discussing this as our family. It's like, are those real? Because they look completely fake, but they're not. It's amazing how intricate a simple snowflake is, and, and I don't know. They, don't, they probably don't stay intricate in Wyoming. Some of them are brown. You know, they blow around a little bit, but um, even, even snowflakes. And think about your own body. Uh, let's, let's think about your brain, for instance. Um, our brains are incredible. Uh, they don't know for sure how many cells are in our brains. They believe that it could be between 10 and 12 billion cells. Now, that's good for me to hear because I've been accused at times of only having one functioning brain cell. So 
I suppose I could have 10 or 12 or 11 billion that aren't working, but um, if we took all of the neurons and connectors and we put them end to end from our brain, um, those connections would be over 100,000 miles long, which means it would wrap around the earth at least four times. Now, seriously, evolution, it just, by chance, some, some single-cell organism, and they can't prove where that single-cell organism came from, came up out of the water and became us. <laughs> seriously, there's no way. And, and then, of course, just this last year, we, um, in 2017, we experienced one of the greatest um, astronomical phenomenon that people can experience on this planet, and that's a total eclipse. And we knew down to the second when it was going to occur. God created the universe with such um, detail and, uh, and accuracy that, that we know exactly where the stars are going to be and when and what time of day. Um, I mean, there, how is that even possible that, that, uh, that that's by chance? Uh, the human brain can contain up to 15 trillion bits of information. Which, and I don't know if there's, there obviously isn't anybody that's actually accomplished that. They say it's equivalent to 25 million books. You know, I, my wife would say I have a terrible memory, and, and I would say it's recall that I have trouble with. You know, I have a mind like a steel trap. I can get it in there. I just can't get it back out. Um, yes, God made it very plain to us that he exists. God has revealed himself to every man, woman, and child on the planet, and out of his love for everyone, he reveals himself to us. This is assuring, I think, as we enter 2018. God is real, and he's revealed himself to the world. Now, on to chapter 2. 2 is a little bit tougher to hear. Uh, Chapter 2 is summarized like this, point number 2. God's going to judge the entire human race someday. God's going to judge the entire human race someday. This isn't great news. It doesn't, and, and it doesn't matter whether you die or Jesus returns before that occurs. God is going to judge every human being. Now, I'm not sure if this really happened, but I heard about a woman that went to a Packers game. And, uh, you know, Lambeau Field, it's tough to get tickets to Lambeau Field. There's, <clears throat> there's a waiting list a mile long. Even, even this season, that waiting list is still there. Um, if there was a waiting list for the Broncos, that's gone. Um, but for the Packers, it's still there. It's, it's something to have a ticket to a seat in Packer Stadium. Now, there was this particular Packer game they were playing. Uh, it, it was a, it was a uh, conference championship, and if they win the game, they go to the Super Bowl. They go to the big dance. And there's a guy, he's there, and the game's about to start, and he looks down in front of him, and there's a lady sitting there, and there's an empty seat right next to her. And this guy... The, Man, curiosity just got to him. And, and he taps her on the shoulder, and he's like, Ma'am, you know, Packers tickets are awfully hard to come by. Um, how, come, uh, how come you have an empty seat next to you? And she told him that she and her husband were season ticket, ticket holders for years and years and years and years, and that he had recently passed away. And, and the gentleman, you know, gave her his condolences. And, but then he asked, why didn't you just give a ticket to one of the other family members? So... They could come to the game, to which she replied, well, they're all going to the funeral. <laughs> right. Um, here's, here's the thing about that. You know, we're all going, short of Jesus coming, we're all going to die. We are all going to die, and we are all going to be judged by God, the entire human race. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 11. 
Um, For God does not show favoritism. God's judgment is righteous and perfect and just, and he's going to judge everyone. There isn't one person or one human being that he's going to withhold his judgment from and say, "Ah, I'm just going to, you know, wipe whatever they've done under the rug and just not count that. No, God is going to judge the entire human race someday. And Romans 2.16 goes on to say that this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. God's going to judge the entire human race. We can bank on that. We know that's true. And here's another thing we need to know, and we're going to summarize chapter 3 in this way. God doesn't grade on a curve. My, my son says that the math department at the University of Wyoming doesn't grade on a curve. They don't. Man, I don't know why I didn't do great in math at the University of Wyoming. Um, God doesn't grade on a curve. But we often live our lives with the tendency of comparing ourselves to those people that are around us. And, and in doing that, we're, we're hoping that maybe God, you know, might grade on a curve, I think. We, you know, let's, let's say we're in line to heaven and we're standing next to Osama bin Laden or the Unabomber or Ted Bundy or ISIS members. We might think, you know what, I got a pretty good chance here. You know, matched up to those guys, I have a pretty decent life. But what happens if we end up in, in line next to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham? What then? God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. Um, I won't measure up. None of us. None of us measure up. Um, if, especially if I was standing next to Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. I mean, I would be toast. No comparison. No comparison. But God doesn't work that way. In, in fact, all will be judged righteously, and God doesn't grade on a curve. In 2018, you know what? Let's compare ourselves to God. Let's, let's set a goal of when every day in life, I'm going to compare myself to God, not to my neighbor who complains about something or, or a coworker who has such a negative attitude, I just want to avoid that person every day of the, of the year. You know, let's not compare, because then it's like, wow, gee, you know, I'm not as negative as so-and-so, so I must be pretty good. You know what? No. We need to compare ourselves to God, not other people. Uh, Romans 3.10, look at it. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. None of us. None of us are righteous. None of us can claim that. But, and, and Romans 3.23, a few verses later, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. None of us compare to God. And God's telling us this because he loves us, not because he wants to say, oh, see, you're a terrible person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, God is, is telling us this because he's honest with us. He doesn't want us to be surprised when we die, and he's telling us the truth because he wants us to be ready when we die. He doesn't grave on a curve. In his holiness and his purity, he can't. He can't judge us that way. So as, so as we reflect on these first three points, um, uh, let's use them to evaluate our lives. Where, where am I um, up to the end of 2017 in regards to this? What does my future hold? And where is my life right now compared to a holy, righteous, perfect God? Not other people. Because God doesn't grade on a curve. I think those are good things to prayerfully consider as we start a new year. Okay, flip over to chapter 4. This is the breakthrough chapter. Here is... Man, I'm flying through this. Here is the summary statement for... uh, 
for chapter 4. And this is great news. Moral foul-ups can be made right. Moral foul-ups can be made right. Paul just told us that God doesn't grade on a curve and we can't cut a deal with him, but we can be made right. In all of our struggles, in the depth of our sinfulness and the sinfulness of the person sitting next to us and those that we know, the yucky stuff in our lives, there's hope. There's absolute hope. Hope that comes from God. Romans 4, chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Look at verse 5 there. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. We are justified by Christ. He paid the price for our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. We're not justified or saved by our works, by our striving, by our goodness. We, we can't look at 2018 and say, oh, I'm going to be the best member of Goshen County I can possibly be. I'm going to beat everybody out. I'm going to give more. I'm going to go to church more regularly. Every time the doors are open, I'm going to be there. Now, you, you could do that, and those aren't necessarily bad goals, but, but we can't justify ourselves. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And that's the good news. Moral fallops like me can be made right. In all other world religions, you have to justify yourself. You have to set up. You've got to strap yourself in, and you have to get on a program. Now, when I was youth pastor, uh, we took a mission trip to Seattle, Washington. Um, that was a, an interesting trip. We took the Twinkie, the big white bus that Rick Teeters and I drove from San Jose, California to get here. Top speed, 55. Man. Now, if you needed to go through snow, that bus would do it. But there wasn't a whole lot of snow in Seattle, Washington in June. Um, but we, while we were there, we visited a Buddhist temple. And we had a Buddhist monk that gave us a tour of the temple and told us all about their religion and, and what they do and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, a Buddhist priest puts himself, uh, he, he showed us all the efforts that a Buddhist priest has to put himself through to try and be pure, to purify himself. I mean, our, he's a Buddhist priest. That's all he does every day, all day long is what Buddhist priests do, try to purify themselves in the hopes that one day when they die, they will be reincarnated into something better. Okay? And then, and then they live that life. And in fact, there was, we noticed there was a cat wandering around the temple. And the monk told us that that was probably a former monk. And I'm thinking, man, he was a terrible monk to come back as a cat. But he seriously believed that that animal could have been a person that he knew. All other major world religions are based on striving, being good enough. And, and it doesn't, you don't have to look around the room very long to realize that, man, there just ain't no way we can do that. Um, we can't accomplish that. See, Christianity is different. Jesus saves us. It's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus lived the perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice for us. The Old Testament law, they had to sacrifice animals, and that blood of that animal, which had to be an unblemished animal, um, covered over their sin. 
didn't purify them of it. Jesus, who was the perfect, perfect human sacrifice, died in our stead. And when we put our faith in him, the Bible says that that we will be saved. Jesus died for fallops like me. Jesus died for fallops like you. God sent his son to seek and save the lost. Without Jesus, we are lost. Now, it was prophesied back in Isaiah 53, uh, chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, on Jesus. And by his wounds, we are healed. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, this prophecy was given about him. We just celebrated his birth, and what a gift that was. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, He, Jesus, saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing verse. It's not us, it's him. We are adopted into the family of God. Man, for the last four weeks we've been talking about these things, what gifts God has given us. Let's humble ourselves this year before him. Let's admit our sin. Let's believe what Jesus said and what he did for you on the cross. Let's lay our lives down before him. Now, the results of this justification make up the summary of chapter 5. And the summary for chapter 5 is this. Justification through faith in Christ results in peace. Who doesn't want peace in their life? Justification through faith in Christ results in peace. Uh, we can all have peace in 2018. Now, it, it most likely won't be 24-7, 365 days. Because, you know, our, our, our humanity creeps in there and, and, and we lose sight on the kingdom of God and, and, and how good Jesus is to us and we take things into our own hands and we can lose that, that peace. But Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, again, because of all of these things that I've already said beforehand, since we have been justified through faith, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, one who has been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If the world ends today, I have peace. If I die today, if, if, if I become gravely sick and, and only have a few breaths left, I can have peace. I don't have to fear God because I'm his child. I've been justified by Jesus Christ. One pastor called this the great exhale verse. I like that. The great exhale verse. You can tell where a person is when they hear this verse and how they react to it. Do you have peace with God? Well, I'm working on it. Trying to have peace with God. Or I'm hoping. I'm hoping to have peace with God. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you're wondering if you're going to make the cut. Are the doors of heaven going to be locked and closed? And is there going to be a closed for the afternoon sign on the doors when you get to heaven? Or or if you think, I go to church, I, I give money, I served during Project One. If you're counting on those things to increase your view of yourself before a just and holy God, I don't see a whole lot of peace there. But if your faith is in Christ, 
It is through faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross that justifies us before God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace. (sighs) The great exhale. The great exhale verse. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I think about my life and whether I've done enough good, it's a, I was sitting on the couch yesterday morning and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this point and, and the fact that just reviewing my life in the last 365 days, thinking, has there been peace in my life? And as I sat there on the couch, I thought, wow, I, I certainly have a sense of peace right now in this moment because I know, I know that Jesus has justified me He's adopted me into his family. And I can face whatever comes down the road. You know, that that doesn't mean that we're not going to experience hard things. I mean, we're human beings in a a sin-infested planet where everything is, is breaking down. But I know I'm justified by Christ, and because of the incredible love God has for me, I'm at peace. I don't have to justify myself. I don't, I don't have to make myself up to be something in your eyes that I'm not. I just need to be me. I, I just need to serve God how he has called me to serve. Which is good because I can't, honestly, I don't want to be something in your eyes that I'm really not. Because that just creates disappointment in other people. And seriously, I know I've disappointed probably all of you at one point in time or another. And, and I, I want to I work hard and I want to do well, but I don't want to do that in order to somehow justify myself before God because I can't do that. Can't do it. And, and, and we need to be sure that we're communicating that to people that we're trying to share Christ with. You know what? This, this honestly isn't about you turning your life around and being something different than what you are. It's surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and then him transforming you into what he wants you to be, not what I want you to be or what I think you should be or to think what I think you should think. No, it's in Christ. Our justification is through faith in Christ, and that results in peace. And the news just keeps getting better and better as we summarize Romans 6 and 7, and that's this. The power of sin can be broken in our lives. Some of you may... You may have this, this sin, this, this habit, this whatever. You know it's displeasing to God, but you just can't stop it for whatever reason. And you may be worried about these habits in your life in, in 2018, and you think, ah, it's just going to be the same old, same old me. Or maybe you're not sure that you can give up control over that aspect of your life. Here's the thing. The power of sin has been broken. It can be broken in your life and in mine. We need to lay it at his feet, and sometimes it takes laying it at his feet every day, every day, every day. Romans, look at Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. It's not our master. We don't have to listen to it. We don't have to obey it. Those those. Temptations. We don't have to follow, fall into those. We can turn our back and say, you know what, I, I'm not going to do that. No, nope. nope. I'm saved by grace. 
Sin is not my master. I mean, I have seen people. I have seen people who sit in this building on Sunday mornings who have given their life over to Jesus Christ and their lives have been transformed, some of them overnight. I have seen an alcoholic husband overnight redeemed from his addiction. And I also know a lot of uh, adults who are addicted to alcohol who wish that it could have been an overnight thing for them, but for one reason or another, God didn't heal them in that way. Uh, Someone who has never shown an ounce of love to anyone, now, having surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, wants to give and sacrifice and, and love others. I mean, I, I think we probably all know somebody that we wish lived their life that way. Let's pray that they would find Jesus Christ, that he would snatch them out, snatch them off of that escalator to hell that it seems like humanity is on. Let's, let's, not, let's not be defensive and self-righteous and say, gee, I wish you were more like me. Let's, let's pray that they would find true peace in their life. And that they could be saved by Jesus Christ. For sin shall not be your because you are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, I've read about a drug-dealing woman taken from jail and put into full-time evangelistic work. An arrogant, prideful, underhanded man learns what it's like to be fair and live life with humility. An average, life is good man or woman, yet yet sinful and in need of a Savior, have the chains removed. Sin taken away, and they experience a fulfilling, not free from problem life, but a fulfilling life that's full of peace. Let's go on to Romans chapter 8. Here's the thing. The power of sin can be defeated in your life in 2018. Whatever that is, Whatever that is, it could be anger. I talked just with someone this morning who knows that God's been working on him with, with his anger issue. And, and he knows that God is working in his life because situations have occurred. And yeah, there was frustration and disappointment. Now, my family thinks I'm talking about a game that we've been playing for the last three or four days. No, that's something more serious than that. But I told my family yesterday, okay, we're going to play this game tonight. I'm going to work on not being outwardly frustrated when the dice don't roll my way. I may have to leave the room and go into the bathroom and shut the door and scream and yell for a little bit. But So then, you know, of course it was a game where the dice were rolling my way. And I didn't win, but... They're like, oh, yeah, yep, not been tested yet. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Number seven, and I, I, I love this one. This summarizes Romans chapter 8. God is for us in every situation. You know, if you can't think positively entering 2018 with that statement right there, God is for us in every situation. Think about that. You've never gone to work, school, vacation, the doctor or hospital, a sporting event, a marriage counselor, a physical therapist, etc., when heaven wasn't cheering for you. It's never happened. And it won't happen in 2018. 
I mean, did you hear that? We can't go anywhere or do anything where heaven isn't cheering for us. Where God doesn't have our best interest in mind. Look at chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? What? Nothing. We can be opposed, but heaven is always cheering for us. And then look at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I mean, isn't that awesome? In all things, everything, God works for the good. God's working. Look at verses 38 and 39 there in chapter 8. Paul, I mean, he gets on a roll. He's so overwhelmed by this that he just goes on and on in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Man, that, those, those verses right there need to be on the mirror in all of our bathrooms and on on the dashboard of all of our cars. Every day in 2018, we should remind ourselves of that truth right there. That God is for us in every situation. Now, there are people that are against us, yes. And they will oppose us. And they will do things that just aren't good for us. But in the midst of that, we can know that the that can't separate us from the love of God. God is for us in every situation. There's nothing that could be a barrier. You could doubt or think that God doesn't love you anymore, but it's simply not true. Paul says, weak or strong, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Rest in that love this year. God is for you in every situation. Okay, three chapters left. And there are some serious challenges in them. I mean, very deep. These are very complex chapters. I mean, when I sat down and I read through these chapters, holy cow, I mean, I, I got lost pretty quickly. And, and it's really good to have these summary statements. There's some hairy theology, if I could say that, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. These chapters really can't be summarized, but I'm going to give a broad brushstroke summary. And there's certainly more, but here's this, this broad brushstroke summary in point eight. Despite centuries of Israel's rebellion, God's covenant of goodness was still available to the people. I, I think that's just unbelievable. Despite centuries, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Israel getting on their knees before God saying, oh, we screwed up, we're terrible, repent and turn towards him. And then a year or two or, or maybe a decade or maybe even a century, depending on who was their king at the time, they're rejecting him again. They're doing their own thing. They're, they're, they're wandering and, and taking life into their own hands. I mean, come on, Israel, really? Why didn't you figure this out? But of course, before we can point our fingers at Israel, we've got to look at our own lives and, and, and how our own lives are a sequence of, of that. Repentance and then rejection in some way. Repentance and rejection. 
Because we struggle with the same things in our lives as, as they did. And ours look different. But we follow faithfully, then we get selfish and we do something that won't, what we want, even though we know God wouldn't approve. And then, but then we repent and then we sin some more, and the cycle can be quite dizzying at times. But, but the thing that we need to remember, and this point is very important, is that despite centuries of Israel's rebellion, God's covenant of goodness was still available to the people. He's, he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. Now, I don't think it's a great idea for us to push that to the limit and see how much we can get away with. But even as ones who want to follow faithfully, we, we trip and stumble and fall. The world can get the best of us. Look at chapter 11, verse 29. <laughs> For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. His hand of grace is still available. It's irrevocable. I, as a human being, I can't, I can't even comprehend that. Because I want to revoke things all the time. You know, yeah, I, I loved you at one time, and, or, or I, I liked you. We, were a, we had a decent relationship as acquaintances, and then you kind of betrayed me and turned your back on me. And, you know, now I kind of have a hard time being nice to you. And this just happened to me a couple days ago. I confess it to a friend. I'm like, dude, I don't I just can't. I know I should. But I want to revoke that, just that even small connection with this person and not talk to them anymore. We struggle with these things. But God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So whether you are a Christ follower and you've been living in disobedience and sin or you've never committed your life to him, his grace is still available. It's available right now. And, and I think as we're looking at a new year, we shouldn't put off repentance and acceptance any longer. It, it seems like the cry is getting louder, and, and there's been other times in the history of the planet where the cries have gotten loud for this, but it, it, it just, I mean, it's like, are we in the end times now? I mean, I know we've kind of kicked that around in here in, in some sermons. And, of course, I always say that even if, even if we are in the end times and God was going to come in 100 years, probably none of us in this room are going to be there. Maybe a couple little ones that might chance live past 100. But we are in our end time as human beings, as a human. But we need to be ready. And, and I just want to challenge you to throw open the door of your heart Repent of your attempts to justify yourself. Repent of your sin and believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and anticipate what's going to happen because it's going to be amazing. And then Paul writes a doxology. Chapter 11, go to verse 33. And did I put this on the screen, Roy? I put this one up. I love this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever 
given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths. The depths of his riches. For who has been his counselor? Who of any of us would think that we could even possibly have some wisdom to impart to our creator God? We need to compare ourselves to him. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Not David Anderson, not anybody else in this room. Insert your name here to him. I mean, I can picture Paul falling on his knees as he writes this in awe. I mean, this is an awesome moment to him, and I mean that in the real sense of the word awesome, not how we throw it around in our culture. Awe inspiring. And then we come to the therefore in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul says, okay, now, in view of this incredible mercy that I've been describing in the previous chapters, what I want you to do is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's true worship. That is a response to God for what he has done to us. I mean, I... How have you responded to God's mercy in your life? Maybe you've said something like this, thank you, God. Thank you for your incredible mercy. I'm in. I mean, I want to live for you, and I want to love you with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my strength. And I know that I can only do that because of who you are in me. I want to be the person that you want me to be. I, I want to lay it all out there. I want to put it all on the playing field. And then you just, you just do what it is that you do in my life. Every day of 2018, every minute, everything I do, Lord, I want to do it for you. Whatever you ask of me. To me, that's a goal. To me, that's a resolution that we could make. That we could go into 2018 and we know that we could live it probably not every day. But I would guarantee you that that it would be transformative in your life. I want to say no to what you want me to say no to, and I want to say yes to what you want me to say yes to. I want to be a living sacrifice. Now, there's a little formula at the bottom of your notes, and it's this. Mercies of God equals living sacrifices. I mean, doesn't that sound reasonable? In light... Therefore, because of the incredible mercies of God, I can live as a sacrifice to him. It seems logical that we could respond in that way. In light of God's mercies that that we have experienced, it's, it's just reasonable that that would result in a living sacrifice. Do you understand the mercies of God? Maybe you need to start there. God, how are you and how have you been merciful in my life? Maybe you don't see it. Maybe you haven't been able to see it. In light of God's mercy to us, it's only reasonable. Have you been given another breath? 
Have you ever felt his merciful peace? Have you ever truly felt forgiven of an, a huge, what you would say is huge in your life, sin? And you know that God, when you repented of that, wrapped his arms around you and said, I love you and I forgive you. Has he ever guided you or opened a door for you? Has he ever answered a prayer or provided for a need or bestowed a family blessing to you? Or brought you through the valley of the shadow of death? And you can now look back on that and go, wow, I didn't at the time, but I see what God did and how he's worked. It's from the mercy of God. Now, we have a great church, not a perfect church, but a good one. You know what? That's from the mercy of God. If your faith is in Christ, heaven awaits you, and you ain't seen nothing yet. And in light of God's mercy in our lives, let's offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in 2018. God, make my life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and your amazing grace and the incredible gifts that you give us. And Father, I pray that in 2018, we would set some goals, that we would seek you for direction and not just live willy-nilly, day to day and week to week. And Father, I pray that you would take these truths from these first 12 chapters of Romans and you would help us to soak them in and sink them deep. And I pray that we would, in fact, live as living sacrifices for you. And now, Father, as we close with a couple songs, I pray that you draw our hearts in and put us in that frame of mind as we leave these doors today, as we, as some do, celebrate tonight the ringing in of the new year, the 2018 would be a year where our depth of relationship with you increases and we decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.